Here we go again. Taking a chance on love. Are you ready to receive the Bodhisattva precepts? Are you ready to receive the precepts of the Bodhisattva Samadhi? Great. So the story from the Lotus Sutra, and by the way, the name of the Lotus Sutra is the Lotus Flower of the Inconceivably Wonderful Teaching. Myoho. Myoho means like inconceivably wonderful, true teaching. And it's the lotus flower of that. So in that lotus flower, there's some stories. And one of the stories is about somebody wandering away from home. And in his wandering away from home, she had a really hard time. And it got the longer she wandered, the longer she was not engaging with her home, the more frightened and um, worthless she felt. And by chance, she found her home again and received practices of reintegration from what she wandered away from. Uh, this story is told in this, by the Buddha's disciples to the Buddha. And after they finish the story, they say, you know, we're like this son that wandered away, and you, teacher, are like our father. They want these great disciples wandered away from the Buddha. They wandered away from the wonderful Dharma. They wandered away from the Buddha's samadhi. But they're very happy because they found their way back. And now they can practice. The song that we've been singing in evening service about this samadhi is in a text written by our first Japanese, our first ancestor in Japan. I don't really want to call him Japanese, actually. But he's our first ancestor on that island. And he wrote a text which is called Bendo Wa, which means as for negotiating the way, as for practicing the way, the Buddha way. And in that text, it starts off by basically saying that all Buddhas have this, all Buddhas, I think it says all, it's translated, all Buddhas have this this myoho, they all have this, this teaching of the Lotus Sutra. They all have this samadhi. And what I've been also suggesting is, it's not so much that the Buddhas have this teaching, they are this teaching, and this teaching is Buddhas. It's not so much that Buddhas have this samadhi, they are this samadhi. 
To be a Buddha is the samadhi. But you can also say, they have it, that's fine. And we, living beings, live in... This text starts off by saying, living beings are wandering around in in this dharma. They're wandering around in this inconceivably wonderful teaching. They're wandering around in this samadhi, but the samadhi is, hasn't illuminated their consciousness. And Buddhas also live in this samadhi, and no consciousness reaches the samadhi. So all living beings are moving in the samadhi, but it doesn't illuminate our consciousness. But we're living there. And maybe it never will illuminate our consciousness, because if it did, pretty much that would end our consciousness. But we can, in our consciousness, we can hear the teaching that we're moving in it all the time. And we can remember the place we're moving. We can remember our home. And we can receive our home. We're home, and we can receive it, and we can receive it, and we can remember it, and receive it, and practice it. We can practice what is not confined to our consciousness. And we can practice what our consciousness doesn't reach. Buddhas live there in this samadhi with us, and there's no trace of consciousness, the consciousness where somebody lives, our regular consciousness, there's no trace of consciousness in the illumination of this samadhi. And we live in it, and it doesn't illuminate our consciousness either, but from our consciousness, got one? Yes. You can use your consciousness to remember this place you live. You can receive it. And the story is we're going to come back to it and we're going to receive it and the way we're going to receive it is by intimately encountering all aspects of our daily life. And through that we will be able to be more and more receiving this samadhi If we don't take care of our daily life, if we close the door on our daily life, we close the door on the samadhi. We close the door on where we are if we don't take care of what's been given to us where we are. But if we compassionately and thoroughly interact with every cough and every sneeze and every smile and every frown, if we open to all that, we open to the samadhi which is already here. A lot of us thought we had to do something to get the samadhi. It's like we had to walk on a journey to get where we are. But, you know, not really. We really don't have to do anything to get where we are. We're already in the samadhi, but some people have to go on a long walk and come back to get it. Because when we're first, when we're little practitioners, we're living in it, but our consciousness doesn't know anything about it. And when we first hear about it, we say, no way. (laughs) Uh, I practice with somebody, I've been practicing with this person for about a decade, 
And uh, he's been practicing a pretty long time, maybe. Before I met him, he was practicing Zen sincerely for maybe 10, 20 years. And recently, in January of 2016, he came to see me at the end of an intensive, and he said, you know, I really appreciate your teaching, and I really love practicing here. But after all these years, I feel like I still don't get it. I don't get the samadhi. I haven't gotten it. And I didn't argue with him. I just listened. And then he said to me, when did you get it? (laughs) So I thought, oh, he thinks I got it. And uh, maybe I was a little nervous when he said that, so I just said, I don't know. But not too much longer, I thought, well, actually, I, I don't know when I got it. And then I also thought, actually, I did not get it. I do not get this samadhi. I don't get the, the teaching of suchness. But maybe... I have received it. And actually, I think I have received it over and over from beginningless time. But I don't know when that is, so I'll start recently. <laughs> so then I just thought, well, you know, I just thought of, of cases where I might have received it. I didn't even know I wanted to receive it. I just thought I wanted help in practicing the samadhi. I didn't see that as, I want to receive it. I, I sort of went to Zen Center to get help in getting it. Because I heard getting the samadhi would, would be part of becoming a bodhisattva, which I wanted to be. I didn't even know the word bodhisattva. I just wanted to be like the, like the Zen monks, the Zen monk bodhisattva's stories. I wanted to be like the Zen monk bodhisattvas in those stories. And then I heard that they practiced the samadhi. So I think I was going to go and like try to practice the samadhi, but I felt like I needed help, so I went to the Zen center to get help from somebody who I thought was practicing it, had a lot of experience, and from other people who wanted to practice it, who would remind me that I wanted to practice it. <laughs> Guess what I just thought of? Something funny. (laughs) But before I tell you that funny thing, remind me. I remind me about that funny thing. I want to tell you that. Actually, oh yeah, that was actually. So I'll tell you that now. So I went to the Zen Center in San Francisco. I had already been to Tassajara to visit, but I didn't meet the teacher. From the first time you meet a teacher, just wholeheartedly sit. From the first time you meet the teacher and receive the samadhi, then practice it. But I, I didn't meet, I went to Tassajara, but the teacher was not there. And uh, so I left Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, and I actually didn't like it very much. But I, and I, but I left, not because I didn't like it, but I had to leave anyway. And I didn't like the smell. I didn't like the flies. 
I had not yet heard the teaching of welcoming flies in my eyes, in my nose, in my ears. I had not heard that teaching, so I, didn't, I did not welcome the flies. <laughs> and I didn't receive the samadhi because I didn't welcome the flies. And, but nobody told me, if you don't welcome the flies, you're going to block the samadhi. I just didn't welcome and, and I rejected the samadhi at the same time. When you reject things, you simultaneously reject the samadhi. Nice going. (laughs) One stop rejection. So, anyway, I don't think I received the samadhi at that time. I think I walked away from it. But then I decided to come back to Zen Center later that year. That was the summer of 1967. Then I came back in December of 1967 and I went to Zen Center and the address of Zen Center was 1881 Bush Street. Have you ever ever read any Dashiell Hammett books? Bush Street's featured in those books. It's one of those streets in San Francisco and there was a Zen Center on it, 1881. So I went to 1881 Bush and knocked on the door. And a, um, a Japanese man, who I might call elderly, but actually probably younger than I am now, <laughs> a person probably in his 60s or 70s or 80s, opened the door. And he, looked, he, looked Jap- he looked Asian, but um, <coughs> I thought he was Japanese. And I, didn't, I don't know if I said anything, but he just opened the door and let me come in, and I walked in. How many people heard this story? Yeah, Can I tell it again? You want to tell it? (laughs) You haven't memorized it? You just don't want to tell it. Okay, so I I walked in, and he made a gesture like towards a chair, and I sat down in a chair, and I looked at the room, and the room was, had quite a few Asian men sitting around, smoking, and playing a game which I think I knew was Go. And I don't remember what went through my mind, like, this is not what I expected. (laughs) I might have thought that. But anyway, I thought, well, okay. And after a while, I thought, well, maybe this isn't the Zen Center. (laughs) So I said to the person, is this a Zen Center? He said, no, Zen Center is next door. (laughs) There was 1881A and B. I think I went to B first. So then I went to 1881A and knocked on the door, and another Asian person opened the door. But this Asian person looked more like what I thought a Zen monk would look like. Had robes on and a shaved head. And I thought it was Suzuki Roshi. But this, and this priest looked like he was about 38. And I heard Suzuki Roshi was in his 60s, and I thought, Hey, this Zen is pretty good for your health, apparently. I'm glad I came. And I, and I said, uh, I've come to you know, start practicing here, and uh, 
He said, oh, I'll call the president. So anyway, I went into his room and sat down, and he called the president of Zen Center, and um, I sat there with him and watched him try to do his work. He was trying to uh, do some paperwork at his desk, and I sat there and watched him, and he was, he was very sleepy, so he kept falling down. His head kept falling <laughs> as he was writing. And then um, the president came and took me over to have tea with him at his house. And I said, was that Suzuki Roshi? And he said, no, that's Katagiri Sensei, who was, in fact, 38. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know if I was really open to what was happening there during that process. But then I learned about the schedule, and I came back for Zazen the next morning. And um, uh, when I, while I was sitting, while we were sitting, uh, Suzuki Roshi did a, did a little tour of the Zendo to greet us for morning meditation. So I, I was looking at the floor, and he walked by, and I saw his feet. And when I saw the feet, I thought, fine, I can learn from these feet. Maybe I received the samadhi at that time from the image of his feet. And after the period was over uh, and we did some chanting, then everybody went out of the meditation hall and what he, he practiced having everybody go through his office on the way out, and he would greet each person. And so when I came, joining his palms, we would, I saw the other people joining their palms, and, they would, and then they would bow together with him. So when it's my turn, I came and joined my palms and bowed to him, and I looked at him, and he looked back at me, and then he looked away. And I... I thought, oh, is he afraid of me? Um, did, I, did I make a breach in etiquette? I'm, am I not supposed to be looking at him? Um, and some various other possibilities went through my mind in less than a second, because we have that kind of mind. And then that was over, and I passed on, and I thought, I don't know what happened there. I don't know if I was right, wrong, or nowhere in between. And I thought, this seems good. <laughs> this is like what I thought it would be like to meet a teacher. Did I receive the samadhi? Did I receive the dharma, which I had always been living in? I felt grateful and happy to be here doing this having these kind of meetings, and I wanted to continue. And I had some dung to shovel. Uh, and in one particular case, I was, I was in a session like this, and I, uh, I had a lot of discomfort in, my, in, the, in the body. And I was like really having a hard time with all this discomfort. But I was somewhat engaging with it, and I was not running away from it, and I was not asking for it, but it was being given to me, and I was kind of accepting it. 
I wasn't liking it. I wasn't really hating it. I was just having trouble like being there. It was hard to be there. And I could feel how, what a challenge it was to be there. <sighs> In that, to open to that, to really open to that was hard for me. And then uh, we were offered an opportunity to meet with the teacher formally. So I went to meet him, and I think I bowed, and he was sitting, and he returned my bow, and then I sat down (coughs) in my meditation posture facing him. And I don't remember what we talked about particularly, but it, it was pretty nice, whatever it was. Like he might have said to me at that time, your breathing looks quite natural. And then he said something like, oh, I have to go. Excuse me. And I don't remember if he said, excuse me, and I'm coming back. But he did kind of say, he didn't just get up and not say anything. He said something like, excuse me. And so he had remembered an appointment. But I felt like he was going to come back. Because he didn't say, excuse me, and you, know, you can go because I'm going. He just said, he didn't tell me to leave. He left me sitting there. And the Zen center was, uh, the Zendo was on the second floor of this building, which used to be a synagogue. Uh, So the Zendo was right above the room I was sitting in. So I I kept in the room I was sitting in was the Doksan room, the meeting meeting room that they'd set up. So I was in that space. And then I heard him go up the stairs and I heard him walk down the hall and go into the, and then I heard him go, I think I maybe heard him go into his office, I'm not sure, but anyway, I heard him go up the stairs and down the hall. Was I receiving the samadhi? And then I heard the sounds of noon service, you know? And in those days, we chanted the Heart Sutra in Japanese. So I heard, Kanji, Zaibo, Zatugyojin, Hanya, Haramita, Jisho, Gengo. I heard the service, and then I heard the end of service. <laughs> and then I heard the sounds, the familiar sounds of lunch. <laughs> I heard the clappers, and I heard the service running around, and I heard the chanting, and so they're having lunch up there. <laughs> but he didn't tell me to go, and I didn't go. I just stayed there, sitting in full lotus. And after a while, it occurred to me that I, hadn't, that I was perfectly comfortable. It wasn't that I had no pain. It's that I was... It wasn't a problem. I wasn't having a hard time with whatever was going on with me. I was like, fine. And I don't really know if the pain went away or, if, or not. I can't remember. But I do remember that whatever was going on with me, I was kind of like, fine. I can, I can <laughs> accept this. As a matter of fact, I'm happy to be sitting here. And I wasn't even like, well, what about my lunch? 
didn't, I, I was not into that. And I got kind of like gradually a little more and more amazed that I was sitting here so kind of comfortably and it, the time was accumulating. <laughs> Usually by that time of sitting upstairs, I would be really having a hard time dealing with it. Maybe the sounds and smells of lunch were entertaining me, I don't know. But anyway, there I was. Did I receive the samadhi? One, I could say, well, maybe I did, because I was like relaxed and open and undistracted, enjoying practicing Zen in this kind of surprising way. And then the thought occurred to me, did he do something to... <laughs> like, did he make me be able to do, sit here like this? <laughs> Is this some kind of like... In other words, I didn't put it in his language, but did he, did he transmit the samadhi to me? I didn't think that. But I did think, did he do something? Because I'd never been sitting this long before so comfortably. I did think that. And then lunch ended. I heard it end. It got quiet. And then I heard the students going out of the zendo and heard them going down the stairs. And pretty soon there was, it was quiet. And then I heard one person walking down the hall and one person coming down the stairs. And then the door opened. And he opened the door and he kind of went, oh. as though he had forgotten that I was there. <laughs> it wasn't like, open the door and, and like, did you get it? <laughs> Do you understand? It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, you, you again. <laughs> and that gave me an idea. I was going to be you again to him. So I, can, I practiced being you again. And then he sat down and we continued to have our dogson. And I don't know, it came to a conclusion and I left. And it was a pretty long time I was sitting there. I don't know how long. I do not know how long, but I was amazed. I didn't get anything, but I think something was given. I didn't get anything, but I believe something was given to me. I don't know what it is, but it can be called the precious mirror samadhi. It could be called the samadhi of the ancestors, of the bodhisattvas, of the Buddhas. It could also be called the inconceivable good dharma. A lot of things you can call it, but I don't. There are just names for this great thing that was given to me, which I didn't really know what it was, but I was really fine with it. And what was given to me was that I would be fine with everything that was going on at that time. And then the period ended, and I, I don't know if, if I got lunch or not that day, but after, there, and there was a break after lunch, and so I got a little break, and then we went back to sitting again, and I sat down and crossed my legs, and I was really uncomfortable again. <laughs> and I had a hard time, I had a hard time accepting it until the next time I received the samadhi. And I don't know when the next time was. But maybe the next time was the next story. 
the next meeting. But this isn't the next meeting. This is the next meeting I'm going to tell you. So that's the summer of 1968 that that session happened. And then uh, we were living together. We, meaning me and him, and meaning him and me, and meaning him and the whole Sangha, and me and the Sangha. We practiced together for another one year. Oh, yeah, another one year. And one and a half years. And then the next story comes. Is It's January 1970, and we moved into this new building. We're no longer in the place we were before. We're in a new house, over, uh, actually on the same street, Laguna, where the Zen Center is now. And we were uh, at chanting the Heart Sutra, and I was drumming the Mokugyo. And I was facing Suzuki Roshi, who was facing perpendicular to me. So I'm facing him, and he's facing the altar. Like, like now, I'm facing the altar, and if Laura was hitting the drum in that position, she would be looking towards me. So I was hitting the drum, but also I was looking at him. I was young. I could hit drums and look at people. <laughs> I could probably hit two drums and look at people. But anyway, I was hitting the drum and looking at him, and uh, then he turned and looked at me. And again, I didn't know what it meant, but I felt like, kind of like, maybe I should stop looking at him. So I stopped looking at him, and then he turned back and looked at the altar. And then I looked at him again. (laughs) And then he turned and looked at me. And I stopped looking at him. And he looked back at the altar. And I think that was pretty much it. I didn't, I, from then on, I don't think I was looking at him, and I think I just was doing the, the drum. Did I receive the samadhi? I don't know. I received something. I received the teacher's face. He turned. I was hitting the drum, and he turned and looked at me. He's a busy Zen master, right? He's got a lot of things to do. But he had time in his schedule to look at me. And I had time to see him and deal with that. How fortunate that I got to like receive his face again and again. And it's face-to-face transmission of this samadhi. But of course the face can be the back of the head too. But anyway, it's a transmission. And the samadhi is transmission. And, and the transmission is transmitted. And he, maybe he gave me the samadhi again. Because I needed it again and again. Because that's the way it is. We need it again and again. And uh, I, with his encouragement, and the encouragement of all of you, I was going to go to a practice period at Tassahara in January, a few days after this drumming incident. And I saw him in the hallways of the temple. And I think we had a little talk about me going. And he blessed me. And he said, um, this visiting teacher was a, a teacher of chanting from the head temple of Soto Zen. He was a chanting master. And he was going to teach us chanting. And he said, I want you to learn chanting from this visiting teacher. 
So he put me in a chanting group, and he did teach me. And then he shook my hand. And uh, I had this feeling when he shook my hand like I never felt such warmth in my life. Of course, I did, but I didn't notice it before. Of course, I did. But I was just a little baby, and I didn't understand. I was totally inundated in it. But I, and now I would say, maybe I f- received the samadhi and I had a feeling about it, and it was a, a very big warmth. You know, it, it was just his handshake. It wasn't like... But I just was really impressed by the warmth, and I had the feeling at the time <coughs> that that warmth was there since the first time I met him, but I didn't feel it before. But I had confidence in it, and I... And some, I heard some stories which helped me have confidence. The stories I heard were of teachers who are not warm with their students. And the students later find out how dear they were to their teacher. So that's, I felt like I was very dear to him at that moment. And I had not felt that I was very dear to him before. But I kind of understood that I probably was. And then I went to that practice period and I got trained at chanting. And uh, I really was into it. Ogi koi nagawa guwa shinji pushite shokan wo taritamai jorai makahanyaramita shingyo. That kind of stuff I learned. And because I was young, I can still remember it. And then Suzuki Rishi came down to Tassar after the practice period, and he asked me, his young student, to teach him, to show him anyway, what I had learned from this visiting teacher. And he asked me to come to a room where he was staying and sit down and do the chants with him. Now, this is what I came to Zen Center for, was to receive his teaching. And now here I was, (laughs) receiving his teaching. Again, I didn't think, uh, I'm going to receive the precious mirror samadhi. I didn't even know the word. But what else is he transmitting to me? I don't know. So there he was, transmitting something, his attention, and he wants to do it while I'm chanting these dedications in Japanese. And he's listening to me. And then he's giving me feedback. So he's list- I'm performing and he's watching me and giving me feedback. And then saying again. And I do it again. And he listens and watches and gives me feedback. This is what I came for. But after not too long, I said, I don't want to take any more of your time. I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to get out of the place where somebody was giving me his full attention to my performance. And then again, I, and I said, I don't, want, I don't want to take any more time. He said, it's okay. You can stay. I'm not in a hurry. And then again, I kept trying to get away from him. Just like in the story. When you actually get close to where you want to be, which is where you already are, that's why you want to be there, 
you sometimes want to get out of there because it's really intense being where you are. And you got somebody there to help you be there where you are, which is what you want, and it even makes it more intense, so you even more want to get away. <laughs> this is normal part of the process of getting back home to the, to the samadhi. Anyway, he did eventually let me go. <laughs> and one of the things he said to me was, you know, I had, I had, I had learned the chants just the way that teacher taught it, ex- almost exactly. And he said, the, uh, he said, Tatsugami Roshi, the teacher, he's a 65-year-old Japanese man. So that's beautiful when he does it, but you shouldn't do it exactly the same way. You're, you know. So he, there was various ornaments that, that the teacher put in his chanting, and Suzuki Roshi kind of ironed the ornaments. said, no, d- just keep it level there. So he simplified my, my chanting to make it less a direct copy and more appropriate to what he felt. And it's, if, it's hard when you're performing sometimes to have your, your performance ironed. But it's, and it's very intimate, right? I wanted it more than anything, and I wanted to get away. And he was patient with me. And he was generous. He gave me this time. He was, gave himself to me, and I wanted to get away. And he was patient with me trying to get away from his gift. <laughs> did I receive it? I didn't get it, but did I receive it? There's many stories, and you know, I'm not going to be able to tell them all, but I'll tell some more. If you want to hear some more? Yes. So the next one I'm going to tell is one day he said to me, oh, oh, one day I said to him that I requested may I be ordained as a priest. And uh, he said yes. Uh, and then like less than a month later, I was ordained as a priest. In that time, we didn't, we didn't sew our own robes. He bought the robe for me, shipped from Japan. And we had the ceremony uh, with my Dharma brother, the great carpenter. Disco. So we got ordained together, and um, and then at, on that day, he gave me my name, just like in the story. He gave me a name for me, which was teaching me zazen. So I received. I received. You could say, well, literally, that time you definitely received it. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know I was receiving the Bodhisattva Samadhi, but now I see I kind of, maybe I did. Probably I did. I did. <laughs> and I also received ordination. I received the Bodhisattva precepts, which I hardly knew what they were. I received them and he chanted them in Japanese and I answered in Japanese and but and it was taped. So, it, but I didn't really know it was the Bodhisattva precepts. I just wanted to be ordained as a priest, and that was part of it. Yeah. So then, after I was ordained, one day he said to me that he wanted to give me some teaching, but it was teaching that he didn't really feel uh, like giving in the <coughs> to the whole group. So he gave me a private 
teaching in his Doksan room about the Sandokai, the merging of the harmony of difference and unity. He gave me a talk about that in English. So he's sitting in front of me giving me this special talk on this text, and I'm sitting there, and I'm barely able to stay awake. And I'm feeling, I kind of feel embarrassed. He's looking at this person he's giving his special teaching to, and this person, this new priest, is going kind of to sleep. But he doesn't say, get out of here, you worthless. He just keeps talking, and I keep struggling to stay awake. And I don't say to him, you know, I'm, I didn't set time to say, maybe I don't want to take any more time. I kind of wanted to get out of there because I was really embarrassed. He's giving me this wonderful gift, and I'm barely awake. But he just kept giving it to me. And I kept receiving it in this way that I was really embarrassed about. I would like to be really perky. (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) Then, about six months, eight months, a few months later, he invited me again. He he invited me to be his jisha on a trip from San Francisco to Portland, Oregon to do a weekend sitting. He invited me to go with him and sit next to him and attend to him. And, um, and then on the way up there, on the airplane, <coughs> after we were in our seats, he said, I want to teach you to count people in Japanese. And to make a long story short, he taught me how to count people in Japanese. One person, shitori. Two people, futari. Three people, sannin. Correct? <laughs> Four people, yonin. Five, gonin. Six, rokunin. Seven, shichinin. Eight, hakunin. Nine, kunin. Ten, what he taught me was to. Now, most people say junin. But he taught me to for ten people. Maybe more old. old. So in Japanese, they have different counters for different things. Eight was not quite right. Eight should be hachinin. Eight was not quite right. Hachinin. So anyway, he taught me that. And then he said, now you say it, and I said it. And when I got it to his satisfaction, he said, continue. So I continued sitting in that seat next to him, and I don't know when we took off, but anyway, I continued counting in Japanese. And then he went to sleep. And when he went to sleep, I stopped counting. And when I stopped counting, he woke up. And when he woke up, he said, Shitori. In other words, start counting again. So I said, Shitori, Putari, Stanin, Yonin, and so on. And after I did it for a while, he went to sleep again. And when he went to sleep, I stopped. And when I stopped, he woke up and said, Shitori. 
So then I started it again. And he went back to sleep. And I didn't stop until we got to Portland. And then when we got off the airplane, I stopped. What, did he transmit the Buddha's compassion at that time? While I was counting, I was thinking, actually, I was thinking, why isn't he transmitting you know, some, you know, some teachings about samadhi to me? Maybe he's not teaching me such wonderful teachings about samadhi because I'm not worthy of such teachings. So all I can do is learn how to count people. <laughs> but at the same time, I know he's spending his life to teach this monk something. At the same time, I could sense his great compassion, which is the same as the samadhi. This is Buddha's love. This samadhi is Buddha's love. This samadhi is Buddha's love. And Buddha is Buddha's love. And there it was. Great Zen master. Now, you know, at that time, not everybody thought he was such a great Zen master. Now he's the big Zen master. He was spending his time teaching a young man to count people in Japanese. Who knows why? But he did make that effort. And I did receive it. And I also got the message, I'm making this effort and I want you to do it even when I'm asleep. Which could be translated into, I want you to continue this effort even after I die. He didn't exactly say that, but he sort of did. He said, after I go away, after I die, I want you to stay at Zen Center. He did say that to me. After I die, I want you to continue to practice here. And that message was really there all the time. I more or less understood it. I didn't get it. I received the message. That's the message. I'm here to give you something that I want you to take care of after I go. Just like in the story of Lotus Sutra. He had these jewels. He wanted to give them to his child to take care of because he's going pretty soon. And Suzuki did go pretty soon. Then we had the sitting. And I'm carrying the stick. And he's sitting. And he kind of suddenly bends forward and puts his head down on the ground in front of him, which I never saw him do during sitting before. And I went over to him and I said, Roshi, what's, what's happening? He said, I have a terrible pain in my abdomen. So he, he left the sitting and he said, you stay here and take care of it. Again, I'm going, you take care of it. I'm leaving the family business to you. He didn't say, I'm saying that. He left the family business to us. He wants us to carry it on. What is it? It's the Bodhisattva Samadhi. It's the teaching of suchness. He left it to us. He wants us to take care of it. He's entrusting it to us. So he went home to the place where we were staying, and I stayed the rest of the day, and then the next day I did the morning, and then he and I went back to San Francisco, and he's still in a lot of pain. And I'm impressed with how kind he is in his pain. So he's transmitting that, that even when you're in pain, you can still be kind to children. And there was a little boy in the house 
with us who did not want to ride who did not want to ride to the airport with us but with his, with his mother drove us to the airport and he needed to come with us and he didn't want to go and Suzuki Roshi was really nice to him in his pain and then we flew back and I was sitting next to him and I was really again embarrassed that I could barely stand to sit in the seat next to my teacher who was in pain. I was like noticing, I was trying to get away from this being with my pain-wracked teacher. I knew I should sit there and be with him. I was his attendant, but I, knew, I could see my mind trying to go to Hawaii. Any place but here where I wanted to be. It was hard. The mind keeps wanting to get away from home when home is sometimes so difficult to open to. And from that time on, which is only about, at that point it's uh, (coughs) less than eight more months with him. I just got to meet him again and again. And he kept giving me the samadhi. And everything he did just kept giving it to me. And to everybody. (laughs) The the current joke is, I was the director of the building, and so I could assign the rooms. And I assigned my room next to his. So I got to see him all the time because he lived next door. And if he needed anything, I was right there. So I got in my offering my service to him, and he knew I was up for it. When I got to offer my service to him, I got to receive his gift of being asked to do something for him. <laughs> like, for example, he and his, when their television didn't work, they invited me to come and help them. And, you know, like I would look at the television set, and then I... <laughs> And then I went, I went up on the roof one time and connected the aerial, and it worked, and they thought I was a genius. <laughs> so, but it, then I got an opportunity to help the teacher because I made myself available. So he's, he, and, and also, after we, oh, I forgot to tell you, after we got back, he went to the hospital and had his gallbladder removed, and he didn't tell us it was malignant and we thought, oh, gallbladder's removed, he's okay now. And he seemed to be getting better. But then in August, we found out he had cancer, liver cancer. So during those less than eight months, I was living with a dying teacher, and I knew it and didn't know it. And the dying teacher kept giving us the samadhi. He practiced the samadhi while he was dying, and he kept transmitting to us while he was dying. It was so lovely. And he famously said on on one occasion, I was in the room with him, and he said, things teach best when they're dying. And uh, it seemed like he turned and looked right at me when he said that. But maybe everybody in the room felt like he turned right towards them and said it. I don't know. I didn't say, did you, did you feel like he turned right toward you when he said that? I didn't ask. 
when I was a kid, I watched this show, uh, and the, the sponsor for the show was Quaker Puff Wheat, or Quaker Puff Rites. And they had this, this ad, oh, and they said, and this, this cereal is shot from guns. So they would, they would put the cereal into like a cannon, and then they would blow the, the, blow the cereal out of the cannon, and it would turn into this puffed cereal. And they would point the cannon at the, aud- at the TV audience. And if you're sitting right in front of the cannon, it would be pointing straight ahead. But if you're sitting over to this side of the cannon, it would seem to be pointing to you. That's the way television works. I noticed wherever I sat in the room, it was, the cannon was always pointing at me. And the, puff, the cereal came at me. So when he said, things teach best when they're dying, I felt like he was like talking right to me. And I thought, why is he saying that? Is he saying that he's dying? No, I didn't. What's, what is this? But I felt like it was a very strong message. And I think I, I think I received it. And I think I kept paying close attention to this person as much as I could. And then another occasion, we don't have eight months or seven. So I can't tell you all that happened during those seven months. But on another occasion, he was going to leave the city center and go to Tassajara for most of the summer. And I said to Imrosia, I want to go with you. I didn't know it was going to be his last summer at Tassajara. I didn't know, but I still wanted to go with him for the summer. And he said, okay. And then I said, but maybe I shouldn't because a lot of people would like to go with you. But we have responsibilities to take care of the center. And he said, oh yeah. Well, maybe something will work out. And I thought he meant, maybe there'll be some way for you to come down to Tazara. I don't know what he meant, but things did work out. He did go, and I did miss getting to be with him. Which I'm sorry about in a way. But I'm really glad that I didn't go, because since I didn't go, I got to be there when he came back. And there he was. The dying, now we knew, he, when he came back, we knew we had a dying teacher. And I got to be with him right next door while he died. And every day he gave us, he transmitted this samadhi to us. I, didn't, I never did get the samadhi, but I think I received it over and over. How wonderful. And you are receiving it over and over too. And what you're receiving is where you're living. And you're also receiving the samadhi in the form of my wish that you remember this samadhi where you live. That you remember this dharma where you live. And that you receive it over and over in your daily life. That you do this in your daily life. That you do it in this zendo. You do it in the kitchen. You do it on the street. I pray that you do that. You hear me say that. After a while, he lived on the second floor, and so did I. And the first floor was where the dining room was, and then the basement was where the zendo was. 
After a while, he couldn't go to the zendo anymore. And after a while, he couldn't go to the dining room. So he kept going to the zendo after he told us he was sick, but after a while, he couldn't. But he still needed to go to the dining room. Not didn't need to, but anyway, he still went to the dining room. So we had this way of carrying him down the stairs, which is, uh, I take my hand and go like this, I put my hand on my forehead, and then another person uh, puts his arm there, and I grab his arm, and then he puts his arm on my forehead. So we made this little seat for him and carried him up and down the stairs. So I got to receive that transmission, carrying the teacher transmission. It's a really good one, which you can do with dying teachers if they need to get around. You need a partner. <coughs> you got to share it. <laughs> but this is a receiving the transmission. How wonderful to help my teacher. And so he wasn't going to the zendo. He wasn't giving doksan. He wasn't giving dharma talks. But he was there with us. How wonderful. And, and then he was receiving moxibustion and shiatsu. And I said to him, Roshi, could I just watch you receive your could I just be in the room and watch you receive your treatments? I won't say anything. I won't ask any questions. just want to watch, just to be there. And he said, okay. So I just sat there, cross-legged, while he was on the floor, receiving this treatment. And I was really happy to be there, watching my sick and probably dying teacher received this compassion from this priest who, who administered this treatment. And wasn't, he wasn't like singing the samadhi song out loud. And then one day the, the therapist was sick and Roshi said to me, you do it. Because I was there watching and in fact... I did see what he did, and in fact, I didn't say. I had confidence that I could try it, and I tried it. And he gave me some instruction while I was doing it. I got to give shiatsu to my teacher, to our teacher, and do the moxibustion. And he said, good, or move it over there a little bit. This is the latter part of 1971. And then he passed away. And we tried to carry on the samadhi that he transmitted to us. And we're still trying, right? To realize our true home, which is Buddha, which is the samadhi, which is the inconceivably wonderful truth of the Buddhas. But sometimes we can't stand to be here. It's, too, it's so painful. It's so frightening. So we run away. But sometimes when it's really painful and frightening, we pick up our shovel and we embrace it. And we open to it. And then we open to it. When we open to it, we open to it. When we run away from it, we run away from it. And when we run away, we say, I ran away, I'm sorry, 
I want to come back. Okay, come on back. I forgot the bodhisattva precepts of samadhi. I'm sorry. I still want to practice them, but I got distracted. I'm sorry. Oh, bodhisattva mahasattvas, please concentrate your hearts on me and witness my confession that I got distracted. And also, may I receive the precepts again? So in this school, when we forget the precepts, if we say, I'm sorry, I forgot them, I want to receive them, may I receive them again? They're given to us again. It's not like, you blew it, that's it. You can't have them. It's like, I forgot them, Can I, would you give them to me again? And the answer is, do you really want them? Yes, I do. Okay, here they are. Now will you practice them from now on, and even after realizing Buddhahood? Yes, I will. I'll also probably forget, but I have a practice for that. <laughs> so then things went on, and, and at, I remember in January, like January 16th or 17th of 1983, Suzukiroshi's successor gave me a, a big a small tree, actually, a big staff, which was actually a small tree, gave me this small tree and said, this is Buddha's leg. Gave me Buddha's leg. And I received it, and I thought, yeah, it actually is Buddha's leg. I get it. (laughs) Anyway, I receive it. I received Buddha's leg. And I still have, I'm still receiving Buddha's leg and I offer you Buddha's leg and arm and hair and head and robe and precepts of samadhi. Now you have it. <laughs> Please take care of it. Somebody gave me a book of poetry and the title of the book is You Are Everything You Are Not. And I would add, you are everything you are not as you. And this book was published before this session. <laughs> Somebody else gave me a book, and there's a part of a poem at the end, which is The Song is Short. Or short is the song, and the practice is long. So please take care and practice this song, this samadhi song, for the welfare of this world. And and also listen to the teaching that you working on this samadhi yourself is transforming beings. We're not doing this just to transform ourselves. We're doing it to transform all beings. But working on ourselves in this way transforms beings. That's the proposal of this teaching. You want to transform others? Yes. Work on yourself and transmit working on yourself <coughs> to others. When you work, when you're working on yourself, transmit that by working on yourself. 
Thank you so much for your great openness to this to this samadhi. <laughs> Please take care of it. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.